What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for a podcast. Got Elliot alongside me. We're here to bring in another awesome February podcast. And it is, I'll tell you right now, it's bitter cold outside. We've been having super, super, super cold conditions on a lot of my recent hunts. So, um, you know, there's definitely some fun in that because it brings up some unusual situations. But, um, Elliot, I got a little bit of a story for you. So Let's hear it. It's, it's not a waterfowl story, but I have, like, the world's most freaking ninja mouse in my house right now. As we speak, <laughs> this thing is in my house. And, like, he's just he's just getting bolder, and, oh, man, I cannot stand it. So, anyways, I live out in the country, so we do get mice. I don't know what, like, the long-term remedy is. If somebody knows how to tell me how to... I have to trap like 10 mice a year out of my house. That'd be great. Um, but <laughs> so anyways, um, back to the mouse, we got this mouse and he, he is like, he just eats the food off the traps. Like I got traps all over the place and he's just, he's just cleaning the, the traps off and nothing like he's, I can't catch him. I can't catch him. And he just eats the food right off of it. Doesn't matter what I put on it. He's like, mm, and he just runs over there and, and grabs us. So anyways, like, he is so bold that my wife actually filmed him on the counter eating, eating, uh, oh eating gosh. some food, and she's just like peeking the phone around the cou- counter because my wife's terrified of him. Like she, she saw the mouse in the cabinet one day. This is a different mouse, and so she comes running the living room. She's like, "It's it's in the cabinet in the pantry." So then I go in there and I take off I take off one of my Crocs and I'm I'm gonna freaking just pulverize this thing because I cannot stand mice. You're not gonna my- pull kill a mouse with a Croc. Oh, I've done it that's before. Like, I've chucked. That's like my killing shoe. a mouse with a rubber band. I've chucked my shoe and hit a mouse mid run before and stunned it, and then Dang. took the shoe and finished it off. Um, really? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I'm telling you, I got some weird mouse stories in this house. One time, I was sitting on my computer, and I'm I'm just working on the computer, and I'm going off on rabbit trails about mice. Who would have thought? But yeah, that's and, it. And I feel this little tingling on my leg. And I look down, and there's a mouse crawling up my leg, using like my leg hairs as <laughs> it's like it's the oh vice my god. And I reached down, I grabbed it, and I could I remember feeling it like clinging onto my hairs and like pulling as I took it, and I chucked it across the room as hard as I could against the wall. <laughs> Did that kill it? No, it got back up and ran. <laughs> <laughs> You are way more stud than I would because I would have been screaming and flailing like a, a little schoolgirl. <laughs> oh, yeah. If there was shorts. a mouse running up my leg hairs, there would be no grabbing it involved. It would be me screaming and jumping and yelling. The, the thing was, he wasn't running. He was like super casual about it. He's just like, do, 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 like just slowly meandering up my leg. So anyways, so back to back to the current ninja mouse. Um, so like this thing, he's just eating, like I'm putting traps all over the place and he's just cleaning them off. And I know it's the same one, the same one that's bold. Like he'll just like, he's like peeking around like a dish, like eating food out of it, like looking at us. And then he like takes another bite and then like, looks back at us. And, and then we walk towards him and he runs away. Right. And he's just eating all the food out of all the traps, just plump little mouse that I can't catch. And now he's starting to bring in. It feels like he's bringing in more of his buddies. Like he goes out. I don't know. He like <laughs> finds them or like he's like this place is just chocked full of food and <laughs> and I can't catch him. Anyways, well, I had one of the mice. My my wife told me come in the kitchen. There's a mouse in here. So I run in there, try to get it with my crock, and I can't. Like he, and he hides up into this corner under 
the Quaker Oats canister. And like I know as soon as I like move it, he's just gonna run out and I'm not gonna be able to get him. So I actually go and get I go and get a BB gun. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> right. The the best option. Honestly, I wanted to go get a twelve gauge, I'm not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> oh, that would be cool. <laughs> I didn't see though. I, I got the BB gun and I'm just like I'm just pelting all in there and like I can't get this thing. And so finally I realized he like climbed up under the Quaker Oats thing. He, so he's in there under the Quaker Oats somehow. You know how like they have like that little false bottom? The false bottom yeah. on him? He's under the false bottom mm-hmm. in this Quaker Oats can. So long story short, I take it and I slide it onto a box. He's still alive and um, dispose of him outside. But <laughs> How'd you kill him? Um, I just I just smashed him. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that that wasn't the ninja mouth. That was no, one that's of one of his buddies. Like he keeps bringing more in, but they're not like the the mice that he brings in aren't smart enough, and they get caught in the trap. But this guy just eats the the traps clean. Like he's experienced. you know I I saw a really interesting homemade mouse trap on Facebook the other day where it's like this little plastic jar, and you and you make a little way for him to get up on it, and then it's like a funnel they crawl through. And you put a bunch of like food inside of it in front of the clear jar, but then also on the inside of the clear jar and they, they climb up it and fall down in, then they can't get back out. Mm. But you have to make the mouth so that they can kind of um, crawl down through it. So they feel like they can kind of hold on as they go down, but then they can't get out. And this video, they trapped like it was disgusting how many mice, mice they trapped. They must have staged it because there was like 60 of them in there or something. Oh. Yeah. Might be well, an you, idea. You remember my gr- my garage cleaning uh, episode last year and all the mouse crap I found yeah. in there. So I feel like these are the mice like coming home for the winter to roost or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And uh, last year the thing they got into was this big box of dog treats. They got in there and they just freaking like like full size milk bones and they'd be gnawed down to like an inch. Um, <laughs> and so, anyways, I don't have anything they can get to in the garage this year. Everything's in like uh, mouse proof containers because I you know don't want them getting chief's dog food or dog treats or anything like that. So yeah. what do they do now? now they're they're finding, coming in. Oh yeah, they're finding finding their way into the house. I think I'm up to I think I'm up to seven mice, um, like this this winter. So mm, wow, yeah. We don't seem to have my mice problem at this house. I and mean, we moved in the country. This is year number two we've been out here, and uh, we just I don't. Maybe we've had one or so. We had more at our last house in town than out here. I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm like this close. I'm holding up my hands to like a little tiny measurement, but <laughs> I'm this close <laughs> to like contacting someone that like I don't know, like that specializes in sealing up your house for mice. If anyone's done that and they're listening to the podcast right have now, have you can- tried the little the little boxes that they crawl into and they can't get out? I know we've used those. Where it's these little boxes that they crawl into, and then you don't even see them in a trap. You just throw the little box away. No, I haven't tried that. The one that that I'm getting, I've already got a new trap coming. I, I went to the store; they didn't have them, but there's these sticky pads. So that's mm-hmm. that's the next yeah. one because he's ain't he's not, he's gonna have to like jump over the air and take bites if he wants to not get stuck in that one. So, um, yeah. Are you gonna torture him if you get him? Will you torture him? No, I don't torture him. I just no, that's good. Yeah. No, actually, I mean, I try to kill him as quick as possible. That would be pretty sadistic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that little ninja mouse. I tortured him over 48 hours. Oh, man. Oh, no, man. Uh, Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that, please. 
<laughs> no, it'll be quick, quick and quick and humane. And what's the what's the chance of the little mouse video that your wife took making it to Patreon? <laughs> I don't know. I have to ask her. Sometimes she's a a little shy about those things. So if she's not, I'll put it yeah. up there. Yeah, ask her if we can I, put that on Patreon. I will at least send it to you. She won't. I don't think. Yes. Okay. About that. And then I'll put it on Patreon. <laughs> I didn't know he was going to put it on Patreon. Or we yeah. just won't tell her. She doesn't look on Patreon. She doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, she's not a member. So. Yeah, we'll exclude her. <laughs> and by the way, we just posted a, a Patreon podcast over there. So if you guys want some extra um, Duck Gun podcast footage, we've got a couple podcasts over there. Lots of videos, lots of content that's exclusive to Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting for that. I'm excited to listen to that podcast, actually. It turned into act more of a uh, therapy session where I was burying my soul about frustrations i have about my own personality (laughs) which i did not intend that podcast to turn into that yeah pretty funny yeah i guess we'll see if i listen to him like oh my gosh he caught me and i thought this was uh, just a one-on-one session i forgot it was for patreon i guess (laughs) all righty well let's go ahead and get a quick word from our partners and then we'll go go ahead and jump on into the the topic for today so we actually have levi on um, if you guys watch the YouTube videos, you know that we hunted with him over the Flyways Collective and had an awesome farm pond goose hunt. Um, he hunts with Josh from Outdoor Limits a lot, and they have some great, some great, um, some awesome, really awesome uh, farm pond goose hunts and duck hunts. So, um, yeah, that'll be the topic for today. We'll be all about farm ponds, so stay tuned for that. Um, but first off, I'd like to give a big thanks uh, out to Finisher. Um, finisher is perfect product for finishing off your bird quick and easy, concise, humane. Um, you know, dispatching your birds has never been easier is kind of their, their motto over there. And, you know, I can definitely attest to that here in the late season, obviously all we're shooting is honkers and those big honkers are, are a lot of times really hard to wring their necks and, you know, get it in a, a one swift motion. Um, but with that finisher, you know, you just put a little incision, the back of their head and slip that up in there and finish those birds off. Um, definitely my choice for getting birds finished off the right way. Not only that, but they look awesome hanging from your lanyards. He's got tons of little different shapes and uh, uh, styles, you know, whether it's, you know, the mallard, that's kind of the one I got on my lanyard um, or anything else. So check them out on their website, adrenal-line.com. Perfect guys. Perfect product. Check it out over there. You won't be disappointed. And our product code is DuckGun15. If you have not been using Onyx Hunt as um, part of your methods for scouting or uh, – the, honestly, the main way I use it is I they have a feature where you can track yourself. And so we walk in in the dark through the woods quite a bit. And before having any kind of satellite tool, I would get lost in the woods. I mean – I've got a decent sense of direction, but when you're in the woods in the dark, you can, I mean, in like 15 yards, you can think you're going north and all of a sudden you're going west. I mean, it is really, really difficult. So the way that I use it is when I'm going in there to scout it in the dark, there's this little feature where you can track your walk and it just follows on satellite an exact path that you walked. And then it'll actually tell you how far you've gone, how fast you've gone. But anyway, then I save that track. And then when I'm going in in the morning in the dark, I've got it right there and I'm glued to it, making sure I'm staying right on that same. Then that's just one of the, one of the many, many features that they've added uh, on, on X hunt. Um, they've got weather features and a 3d mode and, and give it a try. Check it out. 
Um, that, that doesn't even count for land ownership and putting pins to, you know, Jordan's got this whole system of different colors. Pins mean different things. And I, I'm serious. Uh, there, I, it, I won't go a season without this. Now that's the first year I've used it in this fashion with all the upgrades, check it out on X hunt. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to motion ducks and they are the creator of the motion duck decoy spreader. Um, we've got a couple different options from the, the, the four duck or the seven duck spreader. The seven duck is called the ultimate spreader. Um, that is my choice on that. You know, I, I try to as many times as I can use that ultimate spreader. Um, I've, I've done it down with the four, but you really get um, just a little bit of extra lifelike motion with the way it twists, having the two spreaders hooked together. Um, so I stick with that ultimate spreader. Um, really gives lifelike motion. Elliot and I have been using it throughout the season on our videos. Pretty much any time we hunt um, stagnant, stagnant water with no wind. It is really the key to getting the ripples on the water and having that lifelike motion. Um, and definitely, definitely check out the videos though. It gives it a way better. You know, it's, it's just hard to express it in words. Um, but you know, lifelike motion for sure. And no wind days, we won't hunt without it. Just, you just can't. You know, um, you spend too much time finding the birds, getting in the right place for them to flare off of the water, looking like glass. So check those guys out. Um, motionducks.com and the product code we got is duckgun2020 for 20% off free shipping Um, so check that one out right now I am on banded.com and I'm taking a look at their products here and this is the website you can abandon Avery GHG and Avery Sporting Dog and over the next few months I'm going to be spending a lot of time on this site just checking out things I want for next year, um, apparel, logo stuff, um, layering system. They've got your mid layers, your shield layers, your core layers. Um, they've got the Aspire series, which is new and just fantastic looking. I'm looking at it right now. It's kind of a, a brown, man, the, the Aspire waders are just, man, I got to get me a pair of these. Anyway, um, you can get lost on this site. Just checking it out. The bibs and, uh, I, I got to quit looking at it right now. I'm getting distracted, but, um, check it out. Banded.com for all of your waterfowling off-season needs. Awesome. All righty, let's go ahead and get Levi on the call, and we'll jump right into it. Hey, guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host alongside me, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck from Freelance Duck Hunting, the Ducktator himself, and our guest for tonight is Levi. How you doing tonight, Levi? Doing well, doing well. Awesome, awesome. And El- and uh, Levi is one of our buddies um, that we've hunted with this season. So um, Elliot, Elliot uh, went ahead and said, hey, let's have Levi on. He's got an awesome hunting style. And so, um, you know, we got things rolling and here we are. Yeah, I've, I've never... Um met anyone like that has Levi's skill set, I guess, you know, I am and Jordan for the most part too. Jordan's a little bit more private than I am, but pretty much raised on all 
public land and and hunted with Levi for the first time during the Flyways Collective, and he got us on a private pond goose hunt. And at getting to know him, I mean, he just has a different style uh, of hunt, both ducks and geese, to anyone I've met um, around. And I know other guys do the same thing too, but I mean, everyone I've interacted with are just kind of public land hunters. So I thought it would be interesting just to kind of, you know, pick your brain a little bit, Levi. And uh, it's certainly your style of developing more private stuff is something that we've talked about since we moved. I just moved about a year ago. And so it's really, I'm hoping that you can, can kind of get a fire lit under me to kind of adapt a little bit more to the way you do things, I guess. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, you go ahead, Lou. That's all right. You you go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no, uh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, um, you know, uh, guys that guys have mostly hunted public, um, and their hunting, um, time, um, you know, and just kind of that's, that's what their option that they had, the only option that they had, um, you know, I, I was presented where I had more, uh, opportunities to hunt, hunt private stuff. Um, so that's, that's just kind of what I had, but, uh, awesome. So, you know, um, I wasn't exactly 100% sure how to, how to do the introduction for you. Um, at the beginning of the podcast. So I guess I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. You know, as as far as a duck hunter and, and a goose hunter or a waterfowl hunter in general goes, um, if I if I was to ask you to introduce yourself, how would you introduce yourself as a waterfowl, like as far as like what you do and what you're all about? Um, I, I would probably describe myself as, you know, as, as more of a, as more of a uh, goose hunter, um, mostly um i do love um shooting ducks um um in fact i i tried to make it more of a point this year to target more ducks um and it just it worked out a couple of times but um i kind of go with what is giving me the best opportunity what is going to give me um the best chance to have success and um and then i just kind of say okay well that's geese or that's ducks and uh and then i just go from there but uh i think everybody this year uh at least kind of from what i hear um you know everybody kind of had a hard time with ducks um it was never really um just on fire on fire for for guys i mean there was you know definitely people had some some good hunts um you know at different times but um, I think the overall consensus across at least the Midwest flyway or the central flyway um, is that it just was never, never just fantastic. Awesome. Elliot, would you, uh, how would, was your experience any different than that or my, well, I think I got really, really fortunate this year. I did shot, shoot my record number of, of ducks this year, but the thing about my season that made it so successful was that I hit the weather fronts and this was just by chance because when we do our, I mean, I can tell you in September when we're traveling West, when we're traveling South, you know, because with my schedule, I don't have the luxury. Like I know that you do this Levi with what you're doing. It's like, you're an opportunistic hunter. 
if you've got something good, you can pounce on it whenever you can hunt the fronts a little bit more. But with myself, I can't really do that. And so it's funny because Josh from Outdoor Limits, he went, he went to a lot of the same areas that I went to, but it's like he would go the weekend before or after. And, and the weekends that I went, we hit the weather fronts perfect. And so we really, really pounded them during those times. And Josh was just at the front or the back the next weekends and just had a struggle of a hard time. So it was all about hitting those few fronts that we got. And then when we got into the stale time, which here we had um, from November, basically November 10th-ish to middle December, it was as stale as you can ever, ever get um, w- with ducks. And I was fortunate in that time frame of getting three here, three there. So it, it may, I had my best season ever, but I think that um, the, like Levi was saying, the general consensus is it was a real struggle mainly because of that six week stretch, but then even late season. Um, and I don't know if you saw this too, Levi, but like when we had, we had open marshes the last two weekends of January season and not a lot of ducks. And that just doesn't, I've never seen that. If you get open, especially they go from freezing to open, um, in the late last two weekends of the season, you're all, you're just assured to see thousands and thousands of ducks, but they, they just weren't, it was a weird migration this year. Yeah. And I can, and I would watch your videos and I would be like, see you shooting all these ducks. And I'm like, what the heck? I, I must suck at this, you know? And I'm like, I, I got to figure out, you know, what I can do, you know, and you kill those stud pintails and, and just shoot mallards in your face. And it makes me feel a little depressed. I guess I'd just go kill my geese or something. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, um, yeah, I know. I think you're right on some of those hunts, you know, you would hit those, uh, hit those fronts, you know, just right. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you were just having absolutely great action um you know and then like you said i I could count i mean you know the last five years um that you know when season opens back up um after the split it's just like balls to the walls like there's ducks everywhere it's like Mm -hmm. just go go shoot them it's you know you know call three or four of your buddies and go go shoot some limits and stuff and and this year it was just not that way. And, um, I don't know. I don't know if I've hunting pressure or, or, or if anything had something to do with that. But, uh, but yeah, it was, I it think was, hunting pressure had a big part to play in because ducks would come in, you'd get a front and there was so much pressure in the state this year, especially out of state hunters that they would just be pressured and gone. And you normally will get four or five days and this year you'd get like two or three. It was just, cutting down on the birds we had awesome well let's go ahead and jump a little a little ways back levi um and let's get into how you got into waterfowl hunting and just hunting in general okay yeah um so gosh dang that seems like it was so long ago but also feels like it was just yesterday um when I was younger, um, my, my dad was never really big into waterfowl hunting or anything, but, uh, I had a couple uncles and, and my grandpa and stuff. Um, whenever we would get together for, for family, um, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or, uh, you know, whatever, we would generally just go jump some ponds. Uh, we would never really set up decoys. 
Um, you know, we just never had time before Thanksgiving dinner or something. You know, we just drive around and and uh, jump some ponds and stuff. Uh, and from then on, so I start. We started doing that when I was probably, I would say, ten, eight to ten years old, maybe twelve, something like that. And uh, I just really um, had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I would see guys that had a bird dog and, and would get their dog to retrieve. And I just thought that was so cool. And, and, uh, you know, so I was like, I wanted a lab and, and, uh, at probably the age of, it was before I was into high school. So I was probably in seventh or eighth grade. I bought my first, um, I think I bought maybe like two dozen decoys. And, uh, they weren't what all the kids, young kids have now. Um, they were like cheap carry light on a plastic stake that when you tried to push it into the ground, it would break. And, uh, or if the wind was blowing more than 10 miles an hour, they blew across the field. It was, it was, were these uh, geese decoys or goose decoys? Yeah, these are the goose decoys. I think they were maybe okay. Terry Light brand or something. They were like a half shell or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they definitely didn't look good. Um, uh, and, and there was times where uh, I would get my dad to go with me um, because I had a farmer's permit so I could drive and, and I would go. But at times I'd get my dad to go with me. And... Uh, I would say probably 95% of the time we never shot anything. So we would practice on those carry lights and, uh, <laughs> shoot, our, shoot our decoys, um, just for fun. So we had a few of them that had a lot of holes. Um, but yeah, so, so from then on, you know, I, some of my buddies got into it in high school and we hunted on the, you know, on the weekends and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we kind of, uh, slowly started accumulating gear and layout blinds and you know duck floaters and some goose floaters and um you know at the time we didn't really have a lot of money you know we were all kind of young and in high school and stuff so we kind of had to all hunt together to actually have a spread or anything and and, uh um you know we did we did pretty good we we definitely froze our, our our tail ends off a bunch and never shot anything. Um, but, uh, you know, we would get lucky at times and, and, uh, and shoot. Was that private or private or public at that time in your life? Um, most of that at that time was, was private. Uh, we did hunt a little bit of public, um, but we just had, um, enough private ground that, that had birds, um, so we could always pretty much count on, on having something like that to hunt. So, um, you know, we never really focused too much on the, on the public stuff. So this, this is kind of, uh, you know, um, something we talk about in the past, but there's just something within us as duck hunters that kind of give us that drive, uh, to go after the, these animals to hunt, to, you know, strive to, the harvest waterfowl um and it's similar to like a dog with a tennis ball it's just like they can't resist it when you got that tennis ball you throw it and there's nothing they can do to resist it i mean was there kind of like a a turning point or like a kind of a 
uh, I guess like a, re- a eureka moment in your in your hunting career where you kind of it just was something that you couldn't resist doing. I guess is, is trying is what I'm trying to get at with that. Yeah, um, you know, well, growing up, um, I mean, maybe this is the this way for a lot of a lot of duck hunters, but I I had uh, a mild case of ADHD, so. Um, one of the ways I knew I just loved duck hunting was uh, my dad and I would also try deer hunting. Well, we would deer hunt right by some of the ponds that we would duck hunt on, and uh, we would be sitting in the in the pop up line, and there'd just be just tons of geese and ducks going into the pond, and you could see them and hear them flying right over the blind, and and uh, you know after sitting there for 30 minutes and seeing all of them, I'll, you know, we'd be like, okay, let's go get our shotguns and let's quit deer hunting and let's go shoot mm. some ducks. <laughs> on the pond. And, uh, so like I said, my dad wasn't a big hunter, so I really enjoyed, um, doing that with him, uh, and, uh, stuff. But yeah, that's kind of when, like, you would see him cup up and you would see him coming in and you're just like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta get that in front of me and, and, and get to experience that. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's just seeing all those birds and, and seeing them work and stuff like that. And just, you're like, man, I, I gotta go do that. I gotta go do that. So. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely can, uh, um, relate with, with you on that one. So. Let's go ahead. Let's jump to the lightning round. Lightning round is quick questions, quick answers, and get and helps us get to know you better as a waterfowl hunter. Um, so first off, we got what what kind of gun do you shoot? Uh, a Stoger thirty five hundred and a Benelli twenty gauge. Nice. Um, and what size shot do you prefer for geese? Uh, so for geese, I shoot uh, two shot. And ducks? Ducks, I generally go with uh, four shot. And are you going uh, two and three quarter, three inch, or three and a half? I'm shooting uh, three inch on, on both the 20 and the 12. Nice. And do you have a, a preference on, on uh, the the area or the, the type of hunting you do, whether it's field, marsh, pond? Um, I probably would say that uh, a, a pond, I'd probably is my favorite awesome and then uh what's your what's your favorite blind snack <laughs> oh man i'm on a diet right now but uh, uh i would have to say um docked pretzels are probably up there pretty high along with any uh juice like jerky or, or snack stick or something like that nice nice um what choke do you use? What what uh I guess restriction of choke? I use um uh, a long range. It's a, a long range choke. I guess it'd be like full. Nice. And uh this is kind of a it's been a long time theme. We've we've strayed away from it recently, Elliot, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I I kind of I do wonder about the full choke. Um is that to shoot further or do you think it's more effective on geese with with more pellets hitting it 
Yeah, so I just started shooting that 20 gauge this year, and um, I played around with a lot of different um, types of shotgun shells, you know, uh, different different uh, brands and stuff. And and um, my thinking was that was, uh, and that's what I have the uh, long range uh, Carlson's Cremator choke on. Um, I'm giving up some pellets. Um, or some BBs going from a 12 to a 20. So my thinking was if, if a little, if I had a little tighter pattern, I wouldn't have as much room uh, to miss. You know, I need to be on target. But if I am on target, I'm going to have more pellets in that target, and I I need all those pellets I can you know get um, to help knock those geese down, especially those those bigger ones. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 like I said, I did a lot of research. I tried a lot of different shows and, uh, I kind of found what worked my gun, worked with my gun best and, uh, I've had really good luck with it this year. So awesome. Yeah. I think that's definitely a key component. You know, it's kind of, kind of what works, works good with you and what you get confident with. And, and when you start getting confident with, with something, man, it's almost like you, you just can't miss and. And I got my 20 gauge A5 um, that I shoot. It's got uh, it's Magnum as well, so I can shoot three inch shells out of it. But I mean, I'll take that over any other gun I've ever shot. 12 gauge, 10 gauge, whatever. It doesn't matter, um, just because I know I'm going to be spot on with it. Um, and if you're spot on, you know you're going to make up for the the BBs that you'd have extra in a you know a, a 12 inch, three and a half inch shell. It doesn't matter if you have a, all those BBs and you're missing. So. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely cool to hear. Kind of everyone's different opinion on on that. Yeah, and 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 to that note, like, uh, you know, I've hunted with Josh some, and people say, "Oh," and I'm sure you guys should have heard this too. That people say, "Oh, you can't kill geese with a 20 gauge." Well, I mean, you guys can attest to this, and because we did it on a video, um, you know, it can be done. Um, you know, they just can't be long shots. Um, you need to kind of know how your pattern is. Um, and, uh, I was a little hesitant when I bought that 20 gauge early on, um, in the, this last fall. Um, but like I said, I did my homework and I, I, I figured it out. And, uh, and then once I switched over to it, the only reason I've been shooting my 12 gauge recently is because I ran out of 20 gauge ammo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know that, uh, and you won't be able to. Of, you won't be able to find it any anytime soon. It feels like so. I know that's <laughs> that's what kind of scares me. But uh, um, you know, and the the other thing I found, which um, a lot of people that say you know that kind of are not on the twenty gauge bandwagon is, I have found that my shooting percentage has gone way up with that twenty gauge um, compared to my twelve gauge. Because I'm able to stay on target mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, find another bird. Um, so that's one. Do thing you I think noticed. you're any, do you find yourself being any more conservative with your shot selection with the 20 gauge or is that pretty much the same? You know, not really. Um, it, you know, I, I think you still have, you know, the pellets and the, the same, um, not quite as many pellets, but you still have 
the same choke and everything. So it's just not as many BBs. So I feel like if you're on target and you know how those pellets shoot, because um, I know we had it, it was a prime example, and, and I think we got it on video. Uh, we had a goose that was at like 55 yards right over the top of us. And, uh, you know, everybody would say, oh, that's too far for a, for a 20 gauge. Um, well, I mean, I shot at it twice. My first shot, I shot behind it. My second shot, I let it just a little bit more, about a foot and a half off of its nose. And I dropped that thing at probably 50 to, I would say 45 to 55 yards. Um, and most people think that that is impossible. And I dropped that thing stone dead. Um, so I do, I guess you could say yes, maybe. Uh, I, I'm a little bit more conservative, but um, but I have full confidence that uh, I know um, how my gun is shooting and how how that uh, choke is performing in my gun with that that shell. Hmm. I saw. I don't know whose video it was. It was one of the Flyways guys, and this group of like five geese or something came in, and it's like every single goose got killed. And I think I think it was on a shot cam, and, and maybe it was Matt's video, and and he was using like a twenty gauge. Every single every single goose just got destroyed, just stone dead on the shot. And then there's comment from a guy being like, "Oh, I don't know about that shooting a twenty gauge." You know, like, did you not? Were you not watching the video? <laughs> it's like every mm-hmm. single goose was just destroyed, and still people on videos, man, they will find every little thing to complain about. You know, it's like every, any little thing they'll criticize you about. It's just fun for them, I guess. But come on, 20 gauges are historic waterfowling guns. There's nothing wrong with the 20 gauge. If you think there's something wrong with the 20 gauge for waterfowling, that's how to phrase it. I want to phrase it too strongly. (laughs) You just don't understand. There's nothing wrong with it. It kills waterfowl. It's a waterfowling gun. Yeah, and not only that, it's just been a it's is a historic wing shooting gun. So, yeah, if, if it can kill upland game, you know, with ease, like what's different about a a duck, really, you know, or a goose for that matter? Well, especially pheasants are normally flying away when you kill them. You know, they're not coming into and your I, face. I think, I think a lot of people that may have those opinions as well maybe have never tried a twenty gauge even. Um, so they just have been shooting a 12 gauge their whole life and have never switched over to even attempt to shoot a 20 gauge. So they just think it, it, it's like the mindset, well, I haven't tried it, so it won't work. And uh-huh. I think if people would maybe give it a shot, I think that they would be surprised. Oh yeah. I think, you know, I think part of it is, and we're getting, I mean, we're going, getting way off into the weeds in this one, which is fine. But, uh, um, it's almost the American mantra, like bigger, stronger, faster. I mean, you know, just look at like trucks nowadays. You got all these dieseled up huge trucks with way too much horsepower. I shouldn't say way too much, just a ton. Right. Um, I, I think some people fall into the same mentality with a gun. Like you have to have the biggest one with the longest shells. So, I mean, we got people and they want to shoot 10 gauges with three and a half, you know, that's, I mean, that's not the. You know, and we've heard it before. Why do you shoot three and a half inch shells? Well, because they don't make four. You know, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's just that's just the mentality of some people. But I think there is something to be said about a twenty gauge having a gun that is super light. You know, has 
very little kick, but is very efficient and very deadly. So um, that's kind of where I fall on it. I mean, if I thought a 12-gauge with 3.5-inch shells would do it better, um, that's what I'd shoot. But that's that's really not my opinion. I am the last holdout of the Flyways Collective. <laughs> Everyone has, sh- has shooting at least a 20 part of the time, except for me. Yeah. Well, we'll I'm just not dying over. to go out and buy a new gun. It's not. I'm not like you know. If You'd I did it. buy a new gun, it probably would be a 12 gauge. But that being said, I would have no issue shooting a 20. I just don't have access. You'd love it. Now, yeah, who I probably would. Shooting I would. A on the hunt. Elliot was the only one on the hunt that shot a 12 gauge. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, but just, no, I, I think Tom. No, Thomas had a 12 gauge that day too. Oh yeah, you're right. Who was shooting a twenty-eight gauge? Oh, that was that was Matt. But we try not to talk about mm-hmm. him on the podcast if we can help it. Oh, <laughs> it's a it's yeah, kind of a running joke with Matt. But you know, they love each other. <laughs> they're buddies. They're buddies. We're we're buddies, but he doesn't need any more publicity. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you jump in here a little bit. Okay. Um, so I, I would lo- I would love to hear from you your process um, with your hunts when you hunt. See, it seems to me like you scout a ton. So if you could just kind of you know there's birds in the area. What is your process as to um, deciding where you're going to hunt and scouting? Just kind of go through kind of how much time it takes you. Um, what you're looking for, do you go to, are you looking for new landowners or do you have your landowners kind of set up? Just kind of go through a scenario of, of, of that process. Well, yeah. Uh, so back on, uh, October 24th, um, that all changed because I, I got married. So, um, <laughs> now it's, it's by, uh, when I get her uh, permission to, uh, to go out and play, um, and look around but uh no my wife's really good about it um she she knows how much i love it and uh stuff like that but uh no doing the uh scouting and stuff that to me that's the biggest thing um you know knowing what those birds are doing when they're doing it um and i always say spend 80% 80% of your time scouting and 20% of your time hunting. Um, and, uh, I found like that's always been, um, a really good, you know, uh, ratio for me to, to have success and, uh, and, uh, tr- you know, trying to find birds and, and, uh, track them down and, and, uh, you know, um, I've spent way more time than I probably should have, um, watching birds and, and, uh, you know, trying to get permission and different stuff like that, uh, than I should have, but, uh, you know, I enjoy it and, uh, it's, it's something that's, uh, fun to do. And then what was the second part to that question? Well, do you have, do you have, <clears throat> I'm going to dig into this. Do you have a set like when you go to scout, are you driving and looking for birds or are you going to all of your locations at a certain, like, I know this place is the best. They're normally here and I know they're not there and I'm going to go to this spot. Do you have like a routine as far as, 
where how you're going to go about scouting or do you literally just drive around like if someone goes up to Canada a lot of times they're just driving and looking for birds and they don't not in relation to places they have permission on and do you do it that way or do you have set because I know you've acquired a lot of private ground especially for someone who's not a guy that's not shelling out a lot of money it seems like you've acquired a lot of ground so do you go to the places that you've had success at before and look or are you looking for birds and then going from there yeah, so I guess um, so. One part of that is is um, I I figured out what birds do um, in different weather situations, except for when it's like right now and it's you know negative ten degrees outside. Um, but whenever it's warmer and sunny, I, I say, okay, I'm going to go look at this spot because I've hunted them here before and had good luck, or uh, it's going to be, you know, windy and cloudy and I'm going to go look at this spot. And, um, so I just kind of, I, I just kind of know or, or have an idea of what the birds have done in the past on those, on those days. And when it's like that and, and I'll go look at those areas, um, I absolutely do not just drive around unless, unless I, I have nothing, um, but I, I always have these areas that it's like, okay, I, I, I know that there should be something here. This is going to be froze up. Um, when that froze, this is where the birds are. This is where they normally feed. And, and uh, if it's a north wind, I know that they're going to go this direction, off the pond or off the lake or river, what, whatever it is. Um, so I really, I just, sometimes I'll even write it down and, and just keep it, you know, um, with my stuff and, and maybe look back at it, um, and and stuff like that. But really it's just, um, figuring out what those birds do. And, and, you know, every year is different, but generally those birds will have the same tendencies, um, on the, on those weather patterns. And, um, I can, I can almost, um, sometimes predict where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. And, uh, you know, that's my whole thing is don't be on time. Be one day ahead of them. Cause if you're on mm. time, or if you're on the same day, you're a day late. You want to be one day ahead or one step ahead of where they're going next. And, um, I guess that's one of the reasons why I've been, successful you know I'm, I'm not saying that they haven't they haven't uh you know hit me on the chin a couple of times but uh you know you you take that and you and you learn from it a little bit uh, the best that you can and uh um you know so i guess i'm ra- I'm, I'm i'm blabbering about it but uh but uh no it's just so i was i was just, talking to you on the phone one time i know and you were talking about um because especially when it comes to geese, my knowledge as far as here's what they're going to do is like zero. I'm a public land duck hunter. That's all I've ever been. So when it comes to are they going to fly, will they fly, um, I think we should hunt them on this day versus that day, I am just clueless. So you and I were talking on the phone one time, and I know you were you were talking about, all right, I've seen them here at this day, and I think that this day is going to be the best day to do it. So let's specifically on – ponds and talked a little bit about how geese 
do they do they have a pattern to how they're going to use ponds? Is that the roost? Is that the watering hole? What time of day? Just give me a 101 on pond hunting geese and their patterns. Right. Well, I can't give you all my secrets, but I can I can I can share. <laughs> I want all the secrets. It. I want landowners' names and I want phone numbers. I will send that. And I will send you uh, a, a bill as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but with the pawns, it's just like, you know, I, I watch them and I read them and, you know, I say, okay, is this where they're roosting or is this where they're loafing? You know, where are they roosting? You know, is it going to be downwind from where the, the loaf pond is or is it upwind? You know, which direction are they going to have to fly? Um, I guess I'll speak to, um, I guess when we killed the, the hunt with the Flyways Collective, um, you know, I had watched those birds for a couple of days maybe. Um, and I, I had a pretty good idea. Um, I, I didn't actually know where they were feeding or if they were even feeding at all. Um, uh, I, I assume that they were because they, they did leave at some point, um, but they were roosting there. And, uh, you know, you hear guys say, well, do you, bump, you know, do you go in and bump them off or, or scare them off in the morning or do you scare them off at night? And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's that person's call, you know, whatever they think was going to be the best. Um, I know in my case, I've done both. I bumped them off the night before and uh, prayed to God that they came back. And I bumped them off in the morning and prayed to God that they came back. And I've had it work in both scenarios. Um, but to that Flyways Collective hunt, um, I knew that they were there. I knew that it was going to be warm. I knew that they weren't going to have to go out and feed a whole bunch. They could sit around a pond and just kind of hang out and soak up the sun. Um, I made the decision to uh, bump them off that night um, right before dark um, so that way they had enough time to go find somewhere else to stay and uh, and uh, you know just lightly bumped them and um, I can't remember who I talked to whether it was you or Josh and I, you know, I, I told you guys I was like you know, if they come back and they do the same thing that they've done, it's going to be an absolute blast of a hunt. And, um, you know, everything that I kind of logged into my notes or put in the back of my mind, everything just come together like, I mean, perfect. I mean, almost better than perfect because I think you've said it before. It was almost so fast of a hunt um, mm-hmm. we almost couldn't even enjoy it um, yeah so. it was like a teal hunt i mean we couldn't even clean up all the birds um with the dogs i mean there was times i was diving over behind the the uh, uh um dike over there they were just one after another so on that one they came in really early so i assume that they roost on water i don't understand what would cause them to sleep on water get up immediately, go to different water that I would never have suspected geese would do that. I thought that they would go to a field and then go to water. Do you have any insight on that? 
Other than they're just they're weird sometimes. I, I think they're just weird sometimes. I think you know geese. You know, uh, maybe ones that I see versus ones that are an hour away or two hours away, and you know, go east or west or south or whatever. You know, they kind of have their own little patterns. Um, but there is there is times where they do that. Um, I think it's it's generally on warmer patterns. Uh, warmer weather patterns where they do that you know they uh, if they do go out to feed uh, they really just go out there and I call it just messing around they just go out there to fly and walk around and you know maybe eat a little bit of corn or soybeans or whatever Um, but they're really not interested they just kind of do it to go do it and then um, and then they come back to to a pond or water or something like that um but no, uh, you are right. Um, you know, they don't normally just fly from water to water. Um, but, but certain, you know, types early parts of the season where it hasn't gotten real cold yet and they don't really have any reason to go out and feed a bunch. Um, they will kind of, kind of do that water to water pattern. So here, here's a question, um, on that section as well. And, uh, you know, one, one thing that you kind of mentioned, uh, was that you lightly bumped the geese off and that's always something that's a little nerve wracking to do, you know? Um, but it's like you said, you got to have them find somewhere else to be. So they're not roosting there that night. Um, but I guess what method, cause I, I've seen different things where people use their dog to bump birds off or, you know, uh, I, I'm just curious on what kind of. What is your approach to to bumping birds off a, a farm pond that you're planning to hunt? Um, <clears throat> some guys walk down there and scare them, or send their dog, or drive down there. I, I've got a couple different uh, methods that I use, just depending on 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 how I can scare them or, or bump them off. Um, but uh, there's some of that that. Uh, um, like I, I guess that's some of my secrets, uh, you know, uh, that I do that. And I think that I, I figured it out that, uh, that's partially why I had good luck doing that. Um, is there's a little bit of a trick to it, um, and how you do it and when you do it, um, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, like you said, there's people that use their dogs or drive down there or, 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 you know, walk down there, you know, whatever. But, uh, um, you know, some guys are going to say, well, this is the only way to do it. And, and that's fine. That's their method of doing it. And, uh, um, I'm good with that because what, what I do for me, most of the time works. Um, I can say I was a little knowing that you guys hadn't had any good hunts and when uh josh sent me a text and he's like hey do you have anything we've been absolutely um you know just haven't had any luck at all um i know whenever i was doing you know bump those off that night i was pretty nervous just because i was like man this is going to be a great opportunity to have a have a good hunt with these birds and and, uh, I, I also knew that, um, what, 
what kind of made me nervous with uh, scaring those off in the morning is that they may go somewhere else and decide to stay somewhere else the rest of the day. And that's what made me bump them off the night before. I've I've never thought to do that. I know the only pond we've got is, is my friend Jeff. So we call corn, we call corn's pond. And, um, we always just bump them off in the dark in the morning. So you think it's typically better to gently bump them off right at dusk the night before, if you're going to hunt them in the morning. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely not a, not a bad, um, bad way to do it. I don't think, um, but like I said, I mean, I've had uh, dozens of times where I've we've just, you know, there's a thousand geese or 500 geese on the pond and ducks and stuff like that. And, you know, you just drive up there and, and uh, you know, see them in the headlights and they scatter. And then, mm-hmm. you know, later in the morning they come back. Um, um, and that's, We've had pretty good uh, success with that strategy on the river. Um, only one time on the river have they come back in force. Most of the time when you get a big group on an ice hole on the river, um, if you bump them off in the morning, you will shoot some, but they never really, really come back. They just go and find another hole on the river typically is my thought process, except for one time. So that that's certainly interesting. I think next time, um, I probably next year, I'm going to try that at Corn's Pond and see if we have – more success because we have had some times like you said where we've kicked them off in the morning and they just don't come back jordan uh yeah i guess we can move on to the the next next subject here so um I, I guess on, let's let's talk about decoy spreads and and uh kind of your strategy when it comes to um, hunting farm ponds? Well, I can tell you, you, uh, you have something in mind on how you're going to set decoys up and then you set them up and it, you look at it and you're like, well, that's not what I had in mind. Um, but, uh, you know, that's because everybody's trying to help and everybody's trying to do something and then, um, you know, it doesn't come to, to plan. But, um, you know, there's kind of a, a group of us um, that kind of hunt together. So we kind of know um, how we're going to set up and stuff like that. Um, and the, you know, most of the time, um, you know, we, we utilize full bodies a lot. Um, and when it's cold, we'll, we'll utilize more sleeper shells and stuff like that. And, uh, and then a lot of times we'll um, use a few dozen floaters um, if we, if we have them or, um, if we feel like we need them, um, it, it really varies. Um, I know some, some places we hunt are bigger ponds, so you can have, you know, four or five dozen goose floaters. Other ponds, if you put that many goose floaters out, there's like not anywhere left for a goose to land. Um, so, uh, we just kind of play it play it by uh, each situation and um, you know go from there but I know on the like I said on those warm days where those geese will feed in the grass and you know and stuff like that we'll put we'll go more heavy on full bodies in the grass like they're 
naturally feeding up a hill or up into a pasture um, to, to replicate, you know, live geese and what they're doing. Awesome. And then, you know, uh, with, with, uh, public land and private land, I know when we're out there, I can't remember which one, who, if you were the one that said it or Josh, um, but somebody made the joke about not wanting to work, not wanting to work too hard. <laughs> so, so what is the truth behind your, uh, your farm pond hunting obsession? Uh, well, for me, you know, I guess as old as I am now, which I'm not really that old, but I'm, I'm old enough that uh, I know when I watch Elliot's videos, it wears me out, um, <laughs> and I don't know how he does it. Um, he's got but, he's got somebody who carries all his gear in for him. That's pretty much how he does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rumor is I don't do anything. I sit there and they carry me on a throne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that slave of his is going to break down one of these days. But uh, I like easy. I like easy. I like simple. I like um, not a lot of, you know, do this, do that. We got to, you know, I like getting in, getting out, you know, not making a big footprint. Um, You know, I like being able to pull up right to the spot. I like being able to just toss everything out. Um, you know, uh, stuff like that. Um, I don't like going through mud. You know, I don't like going through 20 different gates. Um, you know, if we will, we will, if we have to, um, but I, I, the simpler, the better. Um, so, you know, we use the, the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, let's not bring a ton of junk let's keep it to what we need i know i joke around sometimes and say oh we need 35 dozen full bodies but um we hardly ever if we ever have put anything over like 25 dozen and um that's that's still a lot i mean generally you know we'll keep it to 10 to 15 dozen decoys at the most um and, and and that generally does us pretty good but uh yeah i don't i don't like to get things too complicated i like to keep it keep it simple keep it easy because i found that over the years i don't enjoy it as much if i have to just you know work 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 um and just almost kill myself go in there it kind of takes the fun out of it um 10 years ago oh yeah it didn't matter if it just rained six inches. I was going to drag my layout blind out there and, you know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, if you have one, if you've got one hunt left in your life, is it going to be a farm pond <laughs> and geese cupping in? Is that just the, the ticket for you? Oh, we lost him. Hold tight, Elliot. Okay. Oh, it looks like we lost you there for a second. Yeah, am I back on? Yep, you're back on. 
Um, so I was saying, you know, I, I used to, uh, you know, be, uh, you know, didn't matter if it was freezing or if it was wet, I was going out there to hunt. Awesome. I don't know when I will get, come out of that phase. I'm still in that phase. <laughs> oh, we lost him again. <laughs> and there we got him back. I'm not sure what's going on. And I don't know if it's my phone or what. But, uh, <laughs> You're overheating. Yeah, I haven't moved. Um, but, yeah, I like to just keep it simple and, uh, and uh, you know, make it easy. I, I used to be go all the time, and no matter what the conditions were, I was going. But now I'm, I'm a little more relaxed, relaxed and, and uh, you know, try and take it in a little bit more. Um, Gosh, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed sitting back on the flyways hunt um, and videoed some of that and just sat back and watched you guys shoot and watched, you know, the reactions from Titus and 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 uh, and you as well and uh, and Thomas, you know, seeing those birds come in and seeing, you know, you guys have never really experienced that before, I don't think, and and uh, yeah so that was that was man that was so enjoyable for me um you know uh this last weekend it was freezing and i told them guys i said when my heater dies i said i'm going back to the truck and <laughs> my heater died and i grabbed my stuff and i walked back to the truck and uh <laughs> they all had they all had propane left in their heaters so I uh, went back to the truck and warmed up and sat in the truck and watched them shoot a few birds from the truck and you know that you know that was just fine with me um, you know I know those guys had a good time and you know this last weekend and shot some too so um, I, I know I you guys did well on Saturday how, did you guys hunt Sunday and how'd you do if you had, I knew you shot about twenty five on Saturday is what I heard what about Sunday uh, Sunday we we did. We didn't do uh, very good. Um, yeah. We should have had a, but uh, uh, you know the weather conditions that front coming in and hitting mm-hmm. Saturday night, Sunday had a lot to do with it. And um, I think if we would have stuck it out and stayed a little longer later in the day, I think we would have done done well. But uh, those birds kind of had their mind made up where they were going, and we. We we couldn't we couldn't pull very many off of them off of that that line, um, but uh, um, yeah we 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 got cold. Um, so awesome. Well, you know, I think this is probably a, a pretty good point to go ahead and wrap it up. I will say, Levi, I'm definitely right right there with you. Um, there's something about farm pond hunts. Um, it's just a lot of fun. You know, I think it's just the potential of having just absolute um, banger hunts out there in a, on a farm pond that um, a lot of times it's just, it's like I said, it's simple, it's easy, and, and you know, there's nowhere else for those birds to go but cupping right um, right into your decoy. So um, definitely, definitely can agree with a lot of the stuff that you, you said on the, the farm ponds there. Um, but, Elliot, you got anything, any close, closing words? No, I don't. I don't think so. I just say if you guys want to see the hunt that Levi was talking about with the Flyways Collective, it's on uh, my channel, Freelance Duck Hunting, 
Yeah, man, it it was by far the best, um, one of the two best goose hunts I've ever been on. I've never been on one like that on a pond for sure. And so I appreciate, you know, Levi, you taking us on that. And it was great to get to know you on that day and appreciate you coming on to the podcast. No, I enjoyed it. Uh, whenever you uh, told me about it, and I was like, sure, you know, I just don't want to give all my, my little secrets away. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I've enjoyed it. And I enjoy talking duck hunting and, and goose hunting and stuff like that. And, um, you know, hearing what other people have to say about, you know, different areas that they hunt. Because I've had people call me and they're like, well, how do you hunt those farm ponds? And, you know, uh, you know, like, why are those so good? And it's just like, I don't know. It's just, just where the birds are. And, and, uh, I've kind of figured out how they use them and, and different things like that. And then luck has got a lot to do with it. Um, uh, and, uh, I know I've called you Elliot before and kind of picked your brain on some of the stuff that you do. Cause it intrigues me how you guys and, uh, you guys do what you do and how much work you put in and then obviously through a video um, and even Jordan I mean you guys you know as a viewer you can tell how excited you are that all that hard work you put in paid off uh, to shoot that limit of birds or, or something and, and I really enjoy seeing that because uh, that's something I don't do as much as the public land stuff and stuff like that. So, uh, as a viewer, I like doing that stuff. So keeps, keeps me entertained at night and, uh, makes me wish I was, I was better at it, but, uh, I'll just live through you guys. And, uh, <laughs> but you something, I'll be, uh, we can, we can do that again. I'm sure. Uh, definitely look forward to that. Uh, awesome. Well, like uh, like Elliot said, really appreciate having you on. And man, if uh, for real, if I'm ever in Kansas, I definitely would take you up on that. If if all your goose hunts are like that, because that one was, um, that one was awesome. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we got for tonight. I'm Jordan from Ducking Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and our guest tonight, Levi. And we'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs>